Hello, and welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast Special Edition. Uh, I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on Twitter. And I'm Ben T. Travers at Ben T. Travers on Twitter. And we've got a special... Ann Thompson with A.K. Stanwick on Twitter. Yes, special guest Ann Thompson, uh, who reached out to us to because she watched some television this weekend and she has some opinions. <laughs> As usual. Yeah. So um, basically, this this week, of course, you know the biggest, you know, one of the biggest launch show launches we've been looking forward to for a little while uh, was, of course, True Detective. What the, we're officially calling season two. Even though it's really a new season with the same writer. Yeah. And a new cast. Brand new cast. A lot of these anthology shows do tend to recycle casts, like American Horror Story will bring back Jessica Lange over and over again. But they went complete fresh start with this one. Which was contractually necessary, given that McConaughey and Woody Harrelson, big movie stars, had no intention of coming back. (laughs) Yeah. They're still, but they also changed up the, the, the. They changed it up and made it more of a standard issue. Let's have a supervising showrunner writer, which is Nick. P- P- How do you say his name? P- 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 you say it. P- Pizzoletto is that his name? Ben, you probably you could probably answer that better than me. I, I wish I could. It's definitely Pizzoletto or Pizzolato, but uh, all right. So he's the guy, and but now instead of having the movie director Carrie Fukunaga running the directing of all the episodes which is a whole different radical thing in television They're go- they've gone back to the normal let's have directors come in and do different episodes in this case it was Justin Lin another movie director for the first one yeah. is he doing the first two is that correct yeah he handled the first two and then after that we never really got an official list of who's coming on we know now that the the third episode wasn't Justin Lin and it wasn't a big name either it was uh, Janice Metz-Peterson but uh, but yeah Lin handled the first two and if if we want to get into criticism I think that's where I would start okay well before we get into talking about uh, you know before we get into talking about that criticism Ben did you just say a lady named Janice yep J-A-N-U-S, Metz with a Z, and Peterson with a D. Is that a lady or a, a, a lady or a dude? I mean, I assume it's a dude. Janice is a, I mean, Janice, I-C-E, is a woman's name, but I think U.S. is a man's name. Okay. I got confused there for a second, and I started thinking about Janice from the Muppets, and because literally every time I think about the uh, True Detective, I just, I'm like, immediately turn to Janice from the Muppets. I don't know why. <laughs> You might be alone there. <laughs> Not the first. Idiosyncratic at best. But, I mean, the, the, have there been many women directors on this? I mean, no. Nobody. Because it was always Kara yeah. Fukunaga. So, if there are some, that would be a radical shift because this is a, a, a series that where the treatment of women has been criticized. I mean, yeah, just flawless across the board portrayal of women, I thought, in that first episode. I'm being sarcastic. Um, I mean, well, I, at least we have Rachel McAdams. Yeah, no, and that's totally true. And it's great to see her. And I really thought she added something special to the episode. Ben, she was one of your favorite parts, right? Absolutely. I, I don't think she stands out as much in the first episode as she does in the later two. And even then, she doesn't have kind of a breakout moment where all of a sudden you're just in awe of this person as an actress and this performance in general. 
but I felt like she very, I felt, I felt like she transitioned into the role very well, especially considering her background. I never questioned her ownership of the character. I always thought that she was in control of the scenes that she was in, and that her character, despite an ungodly amount of exposition, was interesting even without that. So I, I, I'm I'm very much pro McAdams from here on out. And I've, I've seen a lot of different people with a lot of different reactions to the cast. I've seen people who really love Vince Vaughn, people who really love Colin Farrell, people who really love McAdams, people who really love Kitsch, and people who hate each and every one of them individually on the other end, which to me is just, I mean, it just speaks to the series in general because it's always been somewhat polarizing in when you start talking about the exact, I guess, problems or praises for the show. I like McAdams a lot, too. I think she's fantastic, and I'm hanging on to her for dear life. And what I look to a first episode of a series to do is to grab me, nab me, ensnare me, immerse me, get me interested enough to move forward. I mean, that's what they have to do. That is the goal. And I am a very, I'm not like you guys because I'm not a professional television watcher. I do it for fun and because I'm following the entertainment industry at large, but I don't have to watch every episode. I sample and I bail very easily. And uh, because I have to keep track of the movies too. So basically, I'm on board for another one. I haven't made up my mind. The jury is out. I have pros and cons on this episode, but they did grab me. I mean, what specifically do you, do you feel grabbed you? Is it, was it a character-based thing or a narrative-based thing? Well, what I loved about what they did is that we're introduced to these disparate characters and we don't know how they relate to one another. There is no, ob- I mean, they're obviously going to somehow, as this, as this plot starts to unfold, the one that Vince Vaughn, as a mobster in uh, what used to be Vernon in L.A., the real the real city that was uh, had serious problems along the lines of, of this narrative, um, he what are they calling it? Vinci? <laughs> it's weird. But anyway, he's his plot and his scenario with a high speed train and all the stuff that's being um, laid out and the missing guy who we see speeding through the episode in the backseat in some state of disarray uh, of a limo um, there's a plot there that these people are all going to be involved with and I just got a huge charge and there's a slight spoiler here for those of you who haven't seen the first episode I got a huge charge out of the way they were all brought to the one scene at the end and also amused by the fact that they were all in terrible fucking shape <laughs> I mean really bad and which one was drunker than the other I mean we, I think we can we can attest to Colin Farrell being the drunkest but honestly I, I got a kick out of it I thought it was artfully done I mean the safe bet is always to assume that Colin Farrell is the drunkest <laughs> yeah, they're built for it uh, so who was our least who was our least favorite character of the, of the I mean I, I would say character driven but also plot driven it's both it's both go yeah. ahead well I don't know I feel I feel like I didn't really connect with Taylor Kitsch as much as I would like to which is the ongoing question with Taylor Kitsch is which is is he is there more to him as an actor beyond Riggins on uh, on Friday Night Lights that's the most successful thing he's ever done and he's never matched it yeah and I mean he's great as Riggins but is he able to is there is there more to him well Nora my daughter and I watched this episode episode together she's 25 
And she, uh, I looked at her when he came on because, of course, she has a huge crush on him from Friday Night Lights, and I think a lot of people do. Um, it's a question of whether there's more to him than his looks, really. I mean, I've heard this argument a lot before, and there's a lot of evidence to the contrary just looking at the, you know, the big blockbuster movies that he's been in that haven't performed well, but I don't think it's ever a question of his acting talent or necessarily like kind of his command on the screen. And in this, I'm, I'm rather surprised. I've seen it both ways. I thought he was the weak link in the first episode, and then he kind of gets more to, more to do as the series goes on. But I've seen people who think he's the only good thing about the first episode. I mean, I, I, I honestly think he's just as polarizing as the show, and it's going to come down to kind of your background with him as to whether or not you're addicted to his character in the show, or you think he's the weak link, or you think he's the best part. So I'm not sure what I'll have to forward. As far as Vaughn and and um, and uh, Colin Farrell are concerned, they're both coming from a deficit. So I suspect that a lot of the positive feedback for Vaughn, he's leaned up, he's, 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 he's slimmer than he has been, he doesn't look like a complete mess, and, and he's did, he did a credible job. Um, you know, I thought he carried it. Uh, his face has gotten more interesting as he's gotten older. Whatever dissipation has occurred is, is playing off, um, you know, paying off for him now. Farrell, I am an admirer of in general as an actor. I think he's been judged as a movie star when he's really a character actor, and he's been judged by all the bad, bad, bad movies his agents have made him do. So um, I thought he was fine. I think the writing in his case was perhaps a weak, a weak aspect. I was, I wasn't. Uh, I, I, what do you, what did you think? I know. Sorry, Liz, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I was going to say, I want to hear what Ben has to say. Well, I think that the way they're presenting Colin Farrell's character is poor. I don't think they've, they've executed well on, on what the arc is that they're building towards for him. But again, and speaking ahead of episode one, there's a lot going on there, and, and what, what he's doing is great, and what Farrell is doing with the part is great. It's just a a slight problem with the execution of it which to me leads into the the bigger problem with the first episode and it goes back to what you're talking about Anne in terms of uh, kind of drawing you in and hooking you in that in that very first episode and that's that the end of it was great when you saw why they, why we were watching these guys for an hour was fantastic because you finally got it and you felt like the story was just kicking in and there was a great circular motion shot with everybody looking at each other and getting ready to do something. But up until that point, we weren't given a very good reason to follow them other than this is True Detective and these people are famous. Like, I, I, I didn't feel a strong hook in all of the character backstory that they were pushing on us very early on. And I think I'll I think you'll appreciate it later if the season turns out to be as constructed as they as they're leaning towards right now. But uh, but yeah, I, I don't know about the first episode in general. If, if this was the first episode of the first season of True Detective, and people would have been giving it a second chance. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm willing to give it another episode or two myself. I mean, I will give it another episode or two, or perhaps watch the whole season because I get paid to do that. Um, but if I wasn't getting paid. I don't know. Like, it's a hard. Sh it's. I, I feel like for for me tonally, that this show has just never really worked. I feel like, and you know, I do tr struggle with some of the lady issues. Um, to I mean, me too. I mean, like, I, I 
I can't really like that scene with uh, Taylor Kitsch and his lady friend where she's just like, get that dick over here. I'm like, I candy. I know. I was annoyed too. I mean, it's just not all the female character. I mean, there is some diversity in the female characters this season, at least. Like, it's not just one perfect wife, mother, and then all the prostitutes. Um, you know, there is a diversity of characters, and I actually was really intrigued by Kelly, Kelly Riley, who's an actor I've I've seen in a bunch of different things. And every time I'm like, she's fabulous. Yes, I, I, and every time I see her, I'm like, I should look up who that is because she's always really good. She was good in Cavalry. That was a good one for her. Yeah, she played the daughter of, of Brendan Gleeson. Oh, or Calvary. I always do that. Calvary. I think she and might she, be a first wasn't well, she's powerful. She's very powerful. That you get. I, and maybe smarter than her husband. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they're going to need to pay off on that kind of... It's not necessarily a promise yet, but it's definitely an impression that's been laid out. So until we see her do that, I think then Rachel McAdams is shouldering the burden almost alone. And because it's such a strong ensemble, you know, in, in terms of the four of them, then I think she needs a little bit of a helping hand. And, and hopefully Riley will do that because she's more than capable. Yeah. So, in, ter- in terms of, you know, the first episode of this season, uh, you know, another show you brought up with us, Anne, is Sensate, which you've, uh, which both, both you and Ben have now seen the first episode of that. Well, the thing, what struck me uh, when I got to this sort of aha moment at the end of, of True Detective, where the, the writers have basically brought all these characters into one place at one time, was that as intricate as this plot is, and as much as we obviously want to see it play out, and we will learn more about it, all of these characters as time goes on, whether we want to or not, um, but, but what struck me about that was that Sense8 had to do the same thing, and in this case, again, it's, a, it's, a, it's the movie director, the Wachowskis, and um, and and it's Netflix, so it's a whole different thing. It's it's it, you're you're watching it, on, right? It's Netflix. I always yeah. get Netflix and Amazon mixed up. Um, so basically, um, in this case, it's way more elaborate and way more potentially confusing because you're dealing with um, a central character played by Daryl Hannah who has some kind of connection and we don't understand exactly what it is that's drug-related or time-related or, or um, you know, space-time-related. And, and it's trippy in any case. And she's, you know, people in all sorts of different places all over the world, these characters that have to be established, each and every one of them, and we have to remember who they are and why we're interested in them and how they connect to her somehow. And they pull it off. I mean, they're going all over the world in all these, in, and these people have less in common with each other, nothing in common with each other that we're aware of than the characters in this that are going to be in this plot that we just saw in True Detective. And I was just really impressed with how they pulled that out and it was crystal clear I thought and I was interested in each and every one of those characters yeah yeah that's a that's a really interesting example of a show that has a lot of rules to establish and right it the more the more episodes you watch like it gets a little weirder blurrier about you know understanding the way in which they appear in each other's lives but you know I I remember I watched like the first three and uh I was like, I was, I was, I was having, I was sitting down and doing interviews with people and I was getting through it. Okay. But I was still like, 
I was very excited when I got to see all 12 and finally really get a grasp of how what what the real mechanics of this universe are. I'm looking forward to finding out. <laughs> Uh, to me, what was interesting about the difference between like the True Detective premiere and the, and the Sensei premiere is that even though Sensei has so many characters and they clearly care about those characters and you get a good sense of who they are in that first episode, it's still contingent on the mystery to drive you forward. You want to know more about that Daryl Hannah character. You want to kind of have some of these things explained to you. So the driving force for me to move on to the episode two is, is more you know, plot-based, story-based. You know, it's the mystery itself. And... It was always a debate about season one for True Detective, at least with a lot of the people that I spoke to, a lot of the criticism that I read in regards to was this a character study or was this a murder mystery? And the people who thought it was a murder mystery were usually disappointed because they thought it was too simple, and the people who thought it was a character study were the ones who were blown away by it. And I think it's even heavier on the character study in season two. That premiere is completely reliant on you buying into those characters to move on to the next one, whereas Sensei is more reliant on the story and the mystery than, than anything else. Interesting. I tend to hang on to the characters and be less interested in the plot points of a mystery being solved. But that said, I think you're right that the uh, what is really going on with that Daryl Hannah character is totally mysterious, and so I am curious. But it's less of a procedural. We're definitely, in the true detective world in this case, totally a procedural, right? Well, I mean, it's... I mean, a the classic procedural is like your Law and Order or your CSI, where it's a pretty clean-cut mystery solved over the course of one episode in some form or another. Well, um, it's the killing where you're doing the entire season, right? About one death. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's... procedural in the sense that it's like a season contained in and of itself, and then that season is the procedure that you're going through, but, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, what True Detective represents is the new face of the crime procedural, which, you know, has evolved dramatically over the last, uh, you know, last decade or so. You know, uh, there's this really interesting book called Everything Bad is Good for You. Uh, it was published a couple of years ago. And one of the things that the writer does is he tracks, uh, he creates this chart that compares like how many storylines were in an episode of, say, Hill Street Blues versus how many storylines are in an episode of The Sopranos. And it's like, like um, you know, the Hill Street Blues is like one, one storyline. And The Sopranos is like a massive like 15 or 20 being tracked across multiple episodes. And the reason for that, it, it, the book's argument is that, you know, the growing complexity of television has made us all so much smarter that we're able to take in all these narratives and track all these things. I love that idea. I hope it's true. <laughs> yes. That's yeah. why we tell everyone to keep watching television because it makes you smarter. <laughs> I mean, we gotta hope at least. We have, we have to believe in this argument, otherwise it's just we're, we're curtains over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was an interesting uh, piece that uh, I'm just going to jump into a whole other subject uh, at the moment. Um, uh, there was an interesting piece speaking of multiple plot lines and, and character-driven um, madmen. Um, uh, Matt Zoller's Ice published a piece where the ending of Mad Men was forecast in the second episode or something. Did you guys see that story? It, it was amazing. 
what's the uh, what, 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 what? Well, the argument being that the that the um, that Matt that, that Matt Weiner basically knowing the ending on some level from the beginning, and he did say that four years ago at least he had seen what the end would be, had had managed to take all of the, the strands and, and and really make everything pay off in that last episode, but that he happened to go back and look at the entire thing over again and realized that there was a foreshadowing, a very key foreshadowing of that final shot in in the, um, you'd have to read, I, would, I wouldn't want to give it away here. Well, uh, you know, uh, the introduction of Coke as a potential client, and in fact a client that Dawn very much wants, gets introduced uh, in season one with uh, the Betty episodes, shoot. And so, yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. But that's a, that's a different kind of plotting than, than any kind of network, uh, old form kind of show would ever be able to do in a million years. So it is. It has gotten way more complicated. Yeah. What's always interesting is when you know a plot, you know something, something will be tweaked or rewritten from you know past seasons to make it fit with current continuity. Uh, and for, this happens actually a lot on during. It's been happening a lot during. Speaking of quality television that we all watch, I know uh, the Stephen Moffat era of Doctor Who has been, you know, there have been a lot of twists that he's incorporated that are, that still don't technically, aren't technically in conflict with anything that's happened before, but you just know that, for example, there's a lot major arc surrounding this character of River Song, uh, played by Alex Kingston, and, you know, I would bet a large sum of money that none of the backstory that, that that's revealed for her uh, in later seasons was a part of her initial introduction in season four. So it's like, okay, Moffat, you pulled that one out of your ass, but uh, you know, it does kind of work. Well, that's to say, uh, that's, that's another case where you have this elaborate universe with many, many rules and the, a single entity, you know, supervising it all. I mean, it's sort of like entering Star Trek or, or Game of Thrones or, you know, Westeros or something like that. I mean, it, that is a singular show in that way. Yeah. But also the other question with True Detective that, that sort of made me kind of bail, I have to admit, on the first uh, season um, was just that it was so bleak, you know. It was just such a dire, dark, dismal place to be and I'm a little concerned that that's also going to be true this time oh yeah I mean season 2 premiere for me was so much darker than, than anything in season 1 if only because that kind of injection of humor that Woody Harrelson brought to the table is completely absent I mean there was maybe one joke in the entire maybe two but, but one that, I, that stood out in the entire first episode which was just him joking about uh, taking another shot of whiskey because he didn't savor it enough and I, I, oh god, I'm that's the standard for There's potential with the Colin Farrell character in that direction, wouldn't you say? Uh, hopefully. He was playing it for comedy yeah, to a degree. He, he can. He can definitely get there in that in, in Vaughn inhabiting that darker character in those in those kind of moments with Vince Vaughn, which I expect there to be even more of. But as Vince Vaughn gets, you know, 
meaner, or Vince Vaughn becomes more of a villain, and Farrell becomes more redemptive, then I don't, I don't know how they're going to fit it exactly, at least to the level that they did with season one, which was, to me, felt like a lot. But, uh, yeah, I, I, the one thing that I loved about the first season, and it, it was specific to that darkness, was going into that last episode, most of the conversation was, was about whether or not, you know, anyone was going to survive. They, they expected both the detectives to die, or at least one of them, or, or more than that, or the killer to get away. Just something terrible to happen. And instead, they made the argument that the light was winning, and, and it turned into this kind of positive, this is why we do it, These are why, this is why we're true detectives, if you will, uh, kind of mantra. And, and for me, that spoke to the culture at large and what we needed to hear right now, and I'm interested to see if they try to do that again in season two. Did you pick up on any kind of uh, a kind of a Chinatownish feel? Is it because it's LA? Because it's corruption in LA? I just I, I'm I'm optimistic that that could be a, a positive for, for the show going forward. Uh, I I definitely read a few articles that make that argument. I didn't necessarily see a strong presence of it. I'm, I'm with you. I would be excited that they would push in that direction, but. To me, because they have, you know, they, don't, they have the separation of directors, and then it relies very much on the script. Uh, I, I mean, I could see why the script could push that way, but I feel like it would be toned down because the direction has been so poor thus far. Like, it, it just doesn't present a strong mentality, tone, presence uh, for me, like it did in season one. So, no, I grant you that. I grant you that. There, we don't have the visual. Uh, 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 what's the word I want to use? It's 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 a lure. Uh, it's 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 it, the Fukunaga just did such a beautiful job every every time. Um, so I'm I'm sort of not seeing that either. But Anne, all those helicopter shots, all those they overhead. They were cool. I liked those actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they they relied on them a little too much, but they, yeah. they like the look of it. Just the cinematography <laughs> shot was was pretty good, but creating that that feeling like you had for the first season was completely absent. And, and I've also heard arguments that it wouldn't be possible to do that for you know this area because it's not like Louisiana, it's not like being down in the bayou and that you know very unique atmosphere that they presented in season one. But you can absolutely set that same kind of that same kind of standout presence in Los Angeles and the surrounding area. So I, I just I fault the director there. You know, I would. I, I look, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, Ben, the proof that you can make, you know, central, central, Cal- central, Southern California visually dynamic and interesting is uh, American Crime. Oh, I thought you were going to say Kingdom, but sure, American Crime. <laughs> no, I was not going to say Kingdom. Only you think about Kingdom that much. Well, it looks like they're going for this kind of industrial aesthetic. As yeah. opposed to the standard issue, you know, California. They're showing us side. The, there are all these places like Downey. I mean, there's places, you know, I, they, they could go to town in all of these sort of areas of the city that aren't usually shown in films. Yeah, I feel like they could do that so much more, too. Like, I feel if they really dug into the, to the atmosphere and to the day-to-day life in those towns instead of presenting kind of, it, I mean, it almost felt like a dream. That bar that they were in is the closest thing that I could think of to really digging into the town life, like, from a day-to-day thing. And uh, that bar just felt more like a dreamscape than, like, a reality for this, you know, torn-up, corrupted, uh, small Southern California town. So I, I hope they do that more. But again, without a, without a strong directorial presence, I just I don't have much optimism for it. 
It remains to be seen. So how many episodes have you seen? All of them? I've seen, no, just three. They're, three. Uh, they're, okay. All right. That's what they gave us. Well, I'll hang in. I'll hang in for dear life. I mean, it's worth, I mean, it, it's certainly going to be a show we're talking about all summer long. Uh, if only for stellar dialogue, like, get that dick over here. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just can't get over that line. Just normal. Sorry, what were you saying, then? No, I just thought a lot of people had a problem with the, the astronaut line, and I, I hope, I hope it improves. There, there's definitely highlights in that first episode of, of kind of good dialogue, but it's it's just weighed down with so much exposition that it's hard to, to get through. Yeah. Well, I think this this has been a fun experiment. I think we've we've all we've enjoyed talking about the television we watched. We should continue to do that going forward. It was fun. Thank you for indulging me. All right. I wanted to talk about True Detective, and so we did. I don't know how much time it truly warranted, but we gave it a shot. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think Ben would argue that there's no shortage of there's no there's no amount of time too large to spend talking about True Detective. Uh, it's honestly one of the things I'm most excited about the series. Even after I saw it and you know, wrote up a review that gave it a B minus, which is you know by far the you know, far from great praise. I, I mean, it's a show that you just want to discuss. At least for me, I just I really enjoy these kind of conversations. So, and whenever you feel like talking about it again, whenever you see two and three or however far you get, please do let us know. Will do. Thank you. And uh, you can follow Anne uh, follow Anne on Twitter at. AK Stanwyck. Stanwyck, right? And uh, you can find all uh, find everything that she's writing about. She can find everything she has to say about Hollywood on Thompson at Ho- on Hollywood. Did I, I got the name right there. Oh yeah. Okay. Great. And meanwhile, you can find Ben and I writing about television at IndieWire.com. And you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T Travers. And you can find Liz at Lizlet, that's with an I and an E, on Twitter. Yeah. So thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, we'll see if we do this again. But in the meantime, keep watching television.